This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. When I first started making knives, I got a ton of articles written about the person that I'm talking to now. 95% of them came from about Quentin Middleton. Quentin Middleton is a Charleston knife maker, business person, and what he has done is he's transcended from being a craftsman to a business person and entrepreneur. He's graced the pages of the New York Times, New York Magazine. He's recently been in the Wall Street Journal. I am so fortunate enough to know him, and he is one of the people that has inspired me to become a knife maker and to say, yes, this can be done. So without any further ado, welcome Quentin Middleton. Well, hello, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Here he is. Here he is. So Quentin and I first met maybe two years ago at the Blade Blade Show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw he, I, I, we had never really talked, but we had, I guess we kind of interacted on, on, on Instagram and you gave me a big hug right off the bat. You were <laughs> there is I, I have talked to so many knife makers and they all say you're one of the nicest people around. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's true. It's super true. I, there's a ton of people you've inspired. And, and I just want to want to get into how you got into knife making in general. Oh, man. Well, thank you. Number one, thank you for having me on the show. And basically, man, how I really got it started, it was maybe back in the early 90s, um, late 80s when wow. um, I would watch like He-Man and Conan sure. and Star Wars. And I would take tubing off my swing set, uh, break it off, get a cinder block and a claw hammer and hammer it flat and I'm running around chasing my brothers like ah I'm Conan ah, Luke, Luke Skywalker or something like that yeah, and yeah. that's where the passion really started and maybe fast forward I'm getting ready to uh, graduate out of college I'm working in a uh, a local mall and here comes the legendary Jason Knight walking in he said hey I make nice for a living so <laughs> hey, well, what were you doing in the mall um so I was, I was working at a store called Outman Knife and Cigar. I was selling knives, swords, and cigars. Awesome. So <laughs> the passion wow. was always there. And that's why Jason kind of moseyed on in. Um, I was selling cold steel stuff and bench made, and I was kind of savvy about those knives. And then having a guy coming in to a 17-year-old saying, hey, I make knives for a living. Like my eyes lit up say, oh, can you teach me? Yeah. And like, so and that's where it kind of really started. I tell you what, when when I've I've read that before, and when I think about your experience, and I think about the experience of say Mareko Momasi, both of you guys have a very similar experience in terms of you both have these opportunities present themselves, mm-hmm. and you both seized on them. I mean, he obviously he had met uh, Bob Kramer, not really knowing who he was, and he, next thing you know, he's working for Bob Kramer, one of the best knife makers in the world, and it's the same thing with you. You you yeah. end up meeting. Jason Knight, who is a master bladesmith, considered one of the most famous knife makers in the United States easily. Mm-hmm. And he, he, this opportunity presents itself and you seized on it. Yes. Um, but that's, that's like the, like, that's the polished story. That's, but, that's a, I like a polished story. Let's hear a not polished story. So before then, before Jason came in there, and I'm still working in that, uh, that store, I had other makers um, that would come in and I would ask them like, Hey, can you teach me? Can you teach me? And they shunned me off and turned like they closed the door right in my face. 
Well, here's so. your chance to, if you want to, if you want to, maybe you want to blast a couple no, of them. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. No. <laughs> I understand. When this was all turned off, you'll tell me all about it. Oh, I but, definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, so then you ended up, you ended up, so he just said, of course, come to the shop or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Jason was, he's always just like this bubbly kind of person. His, his personality is like me. But yeah. uh, when people ask me like, what, what is Jason? What? How is he like? He, he looks scary. I say the best way to explain J- Jason, Jason, forgive me for saying this, but he's like Jack Sparrow. He's like, oh, there's definitely <laughs> a quality there. I see that quality. Yeah, yeah, I can see that quality. Like, uh, yeah, it's awesome. So then when you for, so so between him saying I make knives and you asking him, when did you start kind of going into a shop? Um, maybe about a month or two later. Um, I've just well. At first, he didn't really let me touch anything. Um, yeah. I, I was just like this seventeen, this kid coming in. Yeah, of course. And actually, him and Adam DeRosa was together. They were kind of like Adam was oh. kind of le- learning from him around that time. And another amazing. I mean, another. Yeah. I mean, another monumental uh, bladesmith, Definitely. Adam DeRosiers. Mm-hmm. Like so, I was kind of like looking at them and watching them work in the shop. And uh, actually, they see. A lot of people don't know the story, but a lot of uh, Adam and Jason saved my life because <laughs> I was making my own uh, propane forge oh and God. had everything done right. But the orifice for the um, I think an adventure burner. Yeah. And the hole was too big. So uh, so basically a lot of propane was getting saturated inside the. The forge, and I, I kept telling them, it won't light, it won't light, and <laughs> it almost blew up in my face. So, so how did they? What did they say? Did they, 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 they immediately knew just by what you were saying. Yeah, yeah, they knew, they knew. So Adam said, like, we not, we need to teach this guy or this kid because he's gonna kill himself. So <laughs> that's <laughs> and, amazing. And Jason, he kind of treated me like a, it's like a Mr. Miyagi kind of thing. He was kind of messing with my brain a little bit because. Uh, the people that follow Jason or have went to his shop, he would always say like, "Okay, I'm going to get a soda pop," and he would leave for like 20 minutes, and I'm or 20, 30 minutes, and I'm still there waiting. Like, is he coming back? And so I just, I'm just kind of like, just keep on coming, coming, and coming, and trying to impress him uh, with my uh, desire to learn. Right. Well, that, that's incredible. So, 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 what was the first? What, what were some of the? first jobs that he was getting you to do um so it was watching him forge and learning how to forge and then uh stark removal cutting out some of the um his blades and and started learning how to grind and how the uh jason doesn't do any uh jigs or anything like that right so it's all freehand so learning yeah. how to do that and getting my hands used to the heat yeah so that's basically what he was showing me and he would give me projects to do like here's a piece of steel here's a piece of l6 here's a piece of 01 make something i you know there's something special about interning or working for someone especially when you don't have any experience and there's certain teachers who really allow you to learn in a way that works for you and there's some that are just i mean i've had I've, i was an intern for for quite a couple guys uh, for a number of people and some of them you would learn so much from and some of them they just kind of didn't give you the time of day Definitely. so the fact that he kind of gave you these projects and he believed in you and I, it seems to me that there was something between the two of you some sort of chemistry because you are a driven person i'm, I'm yeah. assuming that that's something that you've been been like since you were a child mm-hmm. um i get that from my, my my father and my grandfather like so it's, it's installed in me I'm, um the integrity my granddad always told me the only thing you got in this world is your name and a handshake 
So if the, if you can't stand by those, you ain't a man. Ama- that's outstanding. So what did your grandfather do? Um, he was a retired military. He was a um, retired sergeant major. He was in the Korean War, the um, uh, Vietnam War. He's a drill sergeant, uh, special forces. Holy and, mackerel! Yeah, he's he's a badass, big time. Yeah, big <laughs> so, time, big time. Yeah, so you're not going to get any any like half-assed advice from him in mm-hmm. terms of what to do in life. No, and what but, did your what did your father do? Um, military as well. He was in. Um, he was a sergeant. Um, he got out early, but he was a brick mason. But um, the work ethic started from my granddad, my dad, and me. So um, just I, my granddad used to. Well, all both of them passed away. But um, when I was younger. He would li- he lived maybe three houses up. I would hear him whistling, coming from his house, coming to behind my house. There's a field, and I would hear him whistle. And the sun hasn't come up yet. He would knock at the window and say, "Hey, don't let the sun catch you in the bed." <laughs> so, That's outstanding. What a incre- what an incredible way to to be raised in a, in a sense of 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 that early sense of drive and and uh, dignity for the most part. Yeah. So how long did you work with, with uh, Jason for? Um, I worked with Jason maybe about six years, kind of off and on, kind of doing my, my own thing. Uh, Jason would tell a story like this. I, I was making kung fu blades, <laughs> like That's katanas right. and bowie knives, trying to emulate him, trying to find my place um, until, oh, man, maybe, I don't know the timing, but I had a dream and God was telling me, the Holy Spirit was telling me to make chef knives. And I said, all right, let's go. That is, I love that. I love that because, you know, that's the funny thing, especially when you talk to knife makers, there's only so many ways you can go. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, going back into your family, I know that I met your, I met your brother with you, I guess, I think it was Last Blade Show. Maybe okay, it was yeah. Last Blade Show, your brother was with you. And your brother, Marcus, is also mm-hmm. a chef. Yes. So the fact that the both of you, and his Instagram is Middleton Made Cuisine, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I'm fascinated by the fact that there is this connection between you and your family in terms of you being able to provide, uh, you know, culinary knives and your brother is a, he's a, he's a well-respected chef in your community. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what do you think? I mean, was there, was there, I, I, was there like a big cooking tradition in your family or oh, you- huge, huge. So my mom, um, doesn't have any girls, it's all boys. So she told she always tell us I'm not gonna be cooking all my life, so y'all need to learn how to cook, bake, yeah. do everything. So Mark, even though Marcus is a classically trained chef, we all know how to cook. Right. Yeah. No. I know. I read all about him. I know he went to culinary school, and I know that he does a lot of work with uh, another chef down by you, uh, who's a, just an awesome chef. Is a, yes. a BJ Dennis. BJ Dennis. Yes. BJ Dennis. And and uh, one of the things that interests me is you know when we when I first started doing this podcast, what I really wanted to do is just talk to knife makers, but and makers in general, and just kind of understand who they are. And and part of me wonders, what is it? You know, I know that your father. Your father was a, in the military. Your grandfather was in the military. Well, you're very, you seem like you were very industrious and driven. What was it, do you think, that really made you want to make things? And I, what really brought you satisfaction? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to get tough. I'm going to yeah, get tough. Yeah, I'm not going to let you go early. I'm not going to let you go early. Come on, man. So so basically, it started from that, that fantasy mindset. It's all in my yeah. imagination. So yeah. from making... Like those swords with tubing, I would make bow and arrows, uh, bow and arrows. I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> and I would hunt with those and just 
going on my own adventure, that, that imagination, that really kind of sets me apart. And also, um, my aunt told me something one time, and I never forget that, uh, what she told me. She told me, um, I dare you to be different. Wow. Because uh, there's so many things that you can do, and, and you want to follow behind. Uh, but she's she seen that I don't like following behind everybody else. I like beating my own path. And she just said, Quentin, I, I know who you are. I don't know what you're going to be, but I dare you to be different. That is incredible because there's so many makers that I talk to mm-hmm. who they're, they're, the reasoning behind what they make and how they make it, sometimes it isn't, it isn't from the, the belief from your family or your friends. A lot of it is to prove something. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's because out of, sometimes it's out of spite or I'm going to prove them wrong. Or, yeah. But this is, it's very clear that you had a very, very supportive family Definitely. who believed in you and that allowed you to kind of like grow in this in this way now the f- interesting thing to me is is i know i know that fantasy became is such an important part of your childhood because that's usually what happens with people especially knife makers is that you know even when you hear interviews with you know uh jason knight he talks about conan and all that mm-hmm. but the fact that you were able to take that creativity and kind of push it towards a business quality what gave you the idea to say all right i'm making kung fu swords with jason knight now how am i going to get into business what um, got you into because because i'm telling you this when i first started and people were giving me uh, all the articles were all about you five mm-hmm. percent were about bob kramer and 95 percent of them about you how did wow. you get this entrepreneur it's true how did you get this entrepreneurial spirit um i guess it's kind of is in me to the drive to go and to don't really hear it it's, it's almost like a tunnel vision yeah. um that's why you never really see me on blade forums or any other things like that because i have a vision and there there is no one can tell me different now, i right. guess that's a character of a of a leader um but also reaching back to help somebody else uh, but the um, i don't know man it's the, the the idea of coming becoming uh, a businessman that that became over time because I started making a knife and Jason always said learn your craft learn your craft learn your craft right. and once I started learning my craft I wanted to do the same exact thing he was doing right um, but it just didn't fit with me and the people didn't fit <laughs> so it it was it was it was weird and. And I, was, I prayed one night and said, God, you need to show me something. I really want to do this um, for a living, and mm-hmm. I need I need you to make a way. Now, even though I was in college, I was doing – I went to school to be an aircraft mechanic. Um, huh. I started – after leaving the, um, the mall job, I was an industrial mechanic at Mercedes. Uh, we built those big, ugly Sprinter vans. And I worked on the overhead conveyors. I did a lot of fabrication, welding, and things like that. So everything is kind of leading up to the knife making thing. Yeah, the, a lot of knife makers have an experience with fabrication and be, being able to kind of like see what it takes to get a piece of steel to to be finished and the, doing all those steps. So you've always been working with your hands. Yes. Yeah. Always. Um, it, it, just, it, it fits right for me, even though I have the mindset to do office work, but I'm better with my hands. Yeah. And and also what what I guess to answer that other question about business side. Yeah. Uh, a lot of knife makers there are just like I said, they're in their head of their the imagination, but they can't get outside of that box to think right. about 
the business side of it, how to operate in the business sense. So, um, and I guess that's what makes me a little different. Well, where did you go? Who did you talk to or where did you go to kind of make that, uh, that transition? Because um, it is a huge transition <laughs> to go from making something that you want to make to say, I'm going to bring this to the market. Trial and error. Um, so what, what I did was when I decided to make chef knives, right. I, um, I made a few chef knives and I made a long list of every top chef in Charleston. I called every last one of them. Um, and I said, hey, do you want to buy my knife? Do you want to buy my knives? And every last one of them turned me down. Well, that's because restaurant people are generally scum. I mean, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 they're the worst. I mean, it comes to no offense to all you cooks out there, but I know I know all about it. <laughs> they're not going to pay. What do you mean pay? Mm-hmm. Right? So, so they all they all did what they're supposed to do and say, I don't want to pay. And yeah, I'm like, nah, get out of here, kid. <laughs> yeah, get out of here, man. Typical, typical. Like, so... Um, that same notion about when that feeling that I had from the dream telling me to make chef knives, there was an individual that the Holy Ghost told me to call uh, this chef called, his name is Craig Deal. He was the executive chef of this restaurant in Charleston called Cypress. And I asked him, hey, can you help me develop some knives? So he said, yeah, come out today. So I went in the back. I had my little gun case full of knives. Yeah. And I showed every all his sous chefs and line cooks uh, Chef de Cuisines, all of them huddled around looking at the knives. I'm excited, like, yeah, yeah. these knives are badass. Yeah, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> you're going to buy, I'm, I'm going to leave my hair maybe about $600 or something. <laughs> there's going to be nothing in this, an empty box. People are going to think I'm walking around with an empty box. Exactly. So uh, after, after they um, they looked at them and hold them and they walked away, and my face expression just dropped. He's like, damn. That's tough. So he told me, say, your knives are cool, but they're too, they're too heavy. They're too yeah. clunky um, because I'm coming from a bushcraft field, like making right. buoys, swords. They're real thick. They're not very uh, precise. So he told me, like, OK, I need you to make a knife like this. I need you to make it thin. I need you to make it light here. Right? So he's giving me tidbits. So I would make that knife he's telling me about and and also asking Jason questions uh, through that. And I allow him to make it. I mean, after I made the knives, he tried it. He said, okay, I love this knife. Make make this and make that. And he, his friends told their friends. Their friends told their friends. And it just kind of just snowballed. That's that's the best way to go. I mean, you, you really put yourself that, – that must have – that day when you walked in that kitchen thinking these, these cooks are going to all be fired up to these knife makers coming mm-hmm. in with a pile of knives. And to get that – that very harsh but realistic feedback. Definitely. It must have been super difficult, but at the same time, that pain, mm-hmm. because it's it pain, the rejection of all <laughs> yeah. the work you've done. You've done all this work, and then there's this total rejection, but in the long run, that pain was worth it. Yeah, because I tell some of the people that come here and learn something, some knife making from me, I tell them, uh, the best tools you have in your toolbox is mistakes. Yeah, like, that's, it's 100%. A hundred percent. I was in the same way. You know, when I first started making knives, mine were super, super thick. And somebody was just like, well, I can't, what can I do? I can't do anything with this. And I was like, all right, I'll figure it out. Yeah. So, so you started to work your way with the, with the culinary scene. I mean, the, 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 the Charleston mm-hmm. uh, restaurant world is, is so it's now it's it, with the past, you know, five, 10 years, it's been so hot in terms of the history of Charleston. We're going to get into that a little bit later, but, um, so how did you, what did you, all right, so you're starting to sell knives. So how did you get into the idea? Well, I got to get in there because I know that you do a lot of work with, uh, with, um, like, uh, restaurant supply places and you're, you, how do you get yourself into, uh, 
you know, stores and mm-hmm. how did you get to that point? Um, the first store I was in, it was called uh, Charleston Cooks. They they were the one that kind of gave me this lady named Danielle. Uh, what's her last name? But anyway, her name was Danielle. Danielle's gonna kick me for not remembering her, Don't worry her last that. name. But anyway, she ain't, she ain't listening to this. <laughs> so Danielle, I came in and she said, oh, "Of course, yeah, put your knives in here." And truthfully, man, I tell you, no word of lie. Um, for middle to mid knife has been running for about ten years now, and maybe for. The last nine, I've never done any marketing. Yeah. Really? Uh, never. Really? Never. Every, every last article, write-up, anything about me, everybody came to me. I never went out and reached for anybody. Never. That is surprising to me. And it, obviously, it just goes to show what the Charleston food scene was doing for local artisans. Because there aren't that, that, I mean, not that many. I mean, at the time, I mean, like I said, when I first started reading about you, I, at the time, I didn't see a lot of people your age, and I'm, you know, I'm assuming you're, you're a little younger than me, but I didn't see a lot of people your age kind of making this happen. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that they were so supportive of you is amazing. I know it's very tough to be on consignment, you know, having a knives on consignment, yeah. because it's, it might as well be like just taking. It's like I, I always think that it's like taking your knives and just kind of like sticking them under the pillow and hope so the tooth fairy shows up, mm-hmm. because a lot of times it's very hard. It's very hard, but. You you've you pushed yourself in this position, and I also you know I am friends with the guys over at JB Prince and New York Tim Music, and I know that you, I mean I walked in there and I'm looking around. And I, there's there's Quinton's knives. Quinton's <laughs> knives are right there with all the big guys, and and I just I just wonder how you just you 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 got yourself in this position. It's just incredible. I mean, I, number one, like people may not believe, but like I'm I I give all all honor to Christ, man. That's that's me. That's People may not believe that, and, and they probably roll their eye thinking about it, but I can't. Not me. That's that's the only way I can explain it, man. I, faith is faith is such an amazing thing, and 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 as a person who I have very you know my my history is very like broken almost. I mean, my mm-hmm. mother was Roman Catholic and my father was Jewish, and we never had a huge. I mean, we bo- they were both, you know, lousy at their own religions, if you, if you don't mind me saying so. So I didn't really have a huge foundation in, in regards to that. But I'm always amazed at at how faith helps people in terms of making these decisions. And it just seems like faith, but also your community. Yes, yes. Think? Yeah, it's, it's uh, my community uh, and people like this, this. The thing about the South, I guess, they feel like they want to help. Like you always want to, uh, at least I can say something about you, right? Or or tell a friend like I know this guy that that can make things. But for me, I'm thinking of it like a, as a faith thing for me. Like okay, God, you you're the one told me to make chef knives. You're gonna you you're the one to say do this, and I need you to make a way. And I'm gonna take it, even though he's uh, showing the way, but it's me doing the work, taking the opportunities. Like he, he opened the door, but I still got to walk through it. I was going to say, I was going to say, I always hate to, I always hate to, to, you know, if God told you what to do and you didn't do it, then it's like, you know, that's a whole different ballgame. It's like like faith without work is dead. So yeah, like hundred percent. If I have, I have the faith, like I have the faith of making a million dollars, but if I don't do the work, I'll never be a millionaire. So what's the next step? So you're, you got stores. I know that you do pop-ups every so often. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Mareko Momasi told me on Knife Talk once was that you would a lot of guys go to blade show mm-hmm. and a lot of guys get booze at blade show but what you do is, is you get involved with the food 
the food scene. Yes. And you do booze at food events. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, I've been going to the Bay Show for years. And I've, from the years I've been going to that, I never set up a booth. Um, the reason why, because I believe the people that are there are great makers, and I don't want my clients coming to y'all. So there you go. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a better answer than my answer. Go ahead. And so instead of me, I, I need... I need to make it simple for my clients. So I need to be in a position where I, I need to put myself in a position so they can reach me all the time. So if my if my people, if I'm making chef knives and the people that want to buy my knives are chefs or home cooks, I need they're going to be at cooking events. So I need to put myself there to make myself seen. What, so, what would you say that most of your customers are? What would you what would you say most of your customers are? Home cooks or professional cooks? Um, it's it's eighty five percent home cooks. Yeah, um, and the rest is chefs. And like I don't know, it's it's more more women buying knives for their sons or their husbands that may be chefs, and but primarily um, home cooks. I, I I bought one of your knives recently because yes. I I started buying a few. I've started buying knives from friends of mine, and I really. I love I love your knife. I, I, and I'm not just saying it because you're here. I, and I even sent you a message as soon as I received it. It's an incredibly elegant knife. And the, the, the way you contour the handle. But also, you do something that I like, which is you kind of really, you put a little bit of taper at the front sure. end of the bolster. So when you're in the pinch position, you're, you're a little bit more comfortable with your two fingers on the blade and your handle. I, I, I am astounded by it. And not to mention, your price is very reasonable, which mm -hmm. I always think that that's something special for, for home cooks especially. Yes. You know, they're not necessarily want to pay, pay like, you know, 800 bucks for a knife. You know, so, if they're just... My, my, men, my mentality behind that is um, I like to fish, so I do like freshwater fishing. So I kind of I put it like this: you got brim that you can, or white perch that you can yeah. catch all the time, or you can get a lot of uh, equipment and try to catch a large amount of bass. So every now and again you can catch a bass, or if you're really good at it, you can catch a lot of bass. But I know for sure I can I can take a piece of string and a, a stick and catch a bunch of brim. So that's my mentality behind my production line and my custom stuff. But also, uh, my my production is funding my my custom. I tell you what, you're. I love that. I love that because I say the same thing to me uh, to when my business partner. We talk about it. We do the oyster knives mm -hmm. or smaller knives to let people get them their foot in the door. Correct. But you, because we can move that stuff all day long, and then all of a sudden somebody wants something big, and then then we can kind of. But I I love that. I love that. So so did you do a lot of fishing growing up? Oh yeah, like fishing, hunting. Um, I, I well where I live is uh is all family property, so I have a big open field. So I would. It's probably around thirty acres Holy in all. Mackerel. Like so, I'm. Th that's why my imagination was everywhere <laughs> growing up. Um, so that's, I, I guess, the freedom of being out in in the country. It kind of just pushed me, I guess. And and then, are, do you still live there now? Oh yes, definitely. So so you live close to the water. Yes, uh, I live maybe about five minutes from a lake. 
So, you know, it's it, this this is interesting to me because when, you know, I've always I you know, you're my friend and I've yeah. always wanted to talk to you and when I was talking to my friend our our friend Jared Thatcher who is like a giant <laughs> Jared Thatcher aka the the Kentucky Stooge. I don't know if you knew that that was his nickname, but the no. Kentucky Stooge. He's a he's he he told me that when he when he first started making knives, he came to you and you yeah. gave him a ton of advice. Yeah, we did a, um actually I was the the first person to have a uh, the first knife maker to have a successful uh kickstarter and jared thatcher was right behind me or i think he was successful but sorry sorry jared if it was if don't it worry about it don't, he's okay don't worry about you don't worry about jared he's all right he's all right but, um he he called me and i gave him advice and gave him information for what i know um and i'm, I'm like an open book like even though people gave me a hard time when i started but if i tell Did you they? Oh, heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. Like, why? Why? I don't know. There, there, there are many reasons or many speculations that, that, um, that I can think of, but I'm not even going to go into that. All right. Like, but, uh, but for me, if you call me and ask me a question and I know it, there's no reason for me to, to hold it because how, how can I gain something with my hands closed? Right. So I, I give information, um, but you still got to do it yourself. See the whole the the kick when you guys started doing the Kickstarter thing, it was such a. I, I I was out of the ball. I was out of the picture. I mean, I didn't know you guys were all. A lot of people were doing when they started doing Kickstarters. Mm -hmm. it, it was so ahead of the <laughs> schedule, and and a lot yeah. of people didn't. A lot of people had did not have the success that you had in terms of your Kickstarter program, obviously, because, you know, Jared reached out to you, say, how did you, how'd you make it happen? Yeah. <laughs> what, what got you, what got you to do, uh, the Kickstarter? What thought, what was your, what was your goal in terms of getting the Kickstarter? Uh, so from day one, um, I wanted to create a factory or a manufacturing company that I can employ people from my community. And to do that, um, I need to create sales Great. or create, uh, a buzz. So I needed that funding to help me uh, get knives made and uh, in the U.S., of course, and trying to figure out this manufacturing thing. I, I, I could have done what Bob Kramer did and have another company make it, but I guess I'm hard-headed. I want to do it the hard way. Yeah. So... That's a that's a that's a tough that's a I understand I feel that feeling I know I know what you're talking about. I don't want people to do stuff for me, but at the same time, you, you know, sometimes sometimes you have to let loose in, in order to you know make that extra money. Definitely. So speaking of Jared, I had him on a couple episodes ago, and he mm -hmm. mentioned to me something that would turn into a just a, an enormous uh, rabbit hole. He <laughs> says to me, he says to me, he's like, you got to get, you got to get Quentin to do the Geechee Boy, the Geechee Boy impression. And I was just like, Geechee Boy, what is Geechee Boy? And I, and I, you're talking to a Yankee from New York who has no idea. So in, when I first heard it, I'm thinking, what is, what is this like? Is that like a YouTube thing or is it like a um, like almost like the jerky boys growing up? You're like, I don't know what that was. <laughs> so when I got home, I started, you know, I have the luxury between guests. I got a week mm -hmm. and I try to spend as much time as I can getting to know them because I don't want these to be your standard podcast where I ask you a question and these are the same questions as you get the whole time. I want to kind of get into the person that you are. And I started to look it up and I was 
I was so fascinated by the um, the Gullah Geechee community, mm-hmm. and I was wondering, could you just give it a? a, a and we're gonna. T- I'd like to talk about it. To be honest with you, yeah, I'm fa- I'm fascinated by it. Can you tell us, the listeners, what are the who are the Gullah Geechee people? So Gullah Gullah is the people from West Africa, and they're they they came in as uh, bought in as slaves, and they were they were uh, forced to. Uh, work on plantations to make uh, rice, cotton, and indigo. So that's where a lot of the money came from in the South. And the language that um, I'm I'm Gullah. Um, the language that he's talking about is kind of like broken broken English. Um, and that's the way they communicate. Like, get yeah, boy, we talking about black shit. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like there is yeah. certain it's certain it's, it's it, it is English, but it's broken a little bit. Right. And my grandmother and my grand, uh, my great grandmother really talked it, and we kind of picked it up. I mean, a little bit, and we we know what it is, so, but it, it kind of got lost in history a little bit. But a lot of it is kind of being picked up and exposed more now. Exposed because of bro- guys like your brother, guys like uh, if you if you Dennis, look up yeah. if yeah C J Dennis. If you want to see a vi- if you if you look on YouTube for a video about Gullah Geechee, the Gullah Geechee food. If CJ Dennis isn't on it, I don't know who's he got yeah. somebody else because he's on every single one. He's a fascinating individual. Yeah. And I started to re- I started to, I was reading my I read the book. I don't know if you've seen this book, The Cooking Gene, with Michael by Michael Twitty, mm-hmm. and it's all about the the history behind soul food and and the the um the, I'm fascinated because you know when you talk about the West African people, with that area was referred to as the Rice Coast. Yes. So when the 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 people of West Africa were enslaved, they were enslaved for the reason of making rice in the Carolinas, which was the same climate as it was in West Africa. And these people were very these enslaved people were specialized in this rice growing. Um, rice growing um, science, because yes. I mean that's what it was. It was a science. Mm-hmm. So when um, I grew, go ahead. No, but yeah, you're, you're definitely right. They're uh, they're brought in to make money, and right. um, we're forced to uh, make the rice, and and that's the Gullah is like the Charles. I mean not Charles, South Carolina, North Carolina range, and then the Geechee is from Georgia, because there's the like the islands and and things like that. So I. I know a little bit, not not a lot. So, forgive yeah. me. Uh, no, don't no, for, don't listen. Listen, I I got like so. My wife was so irritated with me because <laughs> I was I was. Did you know this? Did you know this? Did you know this? And she says she says to me, "When are you going to stop with the Did you know? No, I don't want to know anymore. Don't tell me Did you know? Don't stop. And I was sending her videos. I was texting her. It's like, oh Jesus Christ, what are you doing to me? But it was hilarious. I mean, it was interesting to me because mm-hmm. I was under the impression that there was no real rice production along the north, the the ooh, south ooh. northeast before the Gullah people. And they weren't really the Gullah people until after they came to the United States where mm. they kind of, uh, what I was, I, I was, I guess, you know, when I was listening to uh, Killer Mike, was yeah, on, Killer Mike yeah. he was on, he was on the breakfast club and he was talking about the fact that the Gullah Geechee people are the closest uh, culturally to the West Africa in the United States. There's no other cu- culture. And part of it is because the traditions of the Gullah Geechee people, and you, mm-hmm. you know better than I do, are very, very communal oriented yes. and faith-based and food, the food. And I, I just, I wonder, I'm fascinated by the fact that you and your brother especially are really providing this extension of your culture. 
Yes. Um, it's um, food tells stories, um, and it tells you the um, it, it it brings people together, and even the climate that we're in now, it the food helps bring people to the table, and um, is to to share or to to I guess to tell people like where I came from or our culture. Uh, and truthfully, um, I was talking to a um, a maker in California, and I was telling him about certain things about the climate that we're in now. I told him like say for example slaves. Let's let's kind of like explain this. Yeah. If you, I'm talking to this maker in, in California. Right. I said, think about your, your ancestors. You, you know exactly where they came from. You know, you can go back like, oh, they came from Ireland or they came right. from wherever, somewhere in Europe or whatever. I can't say that. I don't know. I don't know where my family come from. What the hell made me cry, man? <laughs> don't cry. You can cry. You can <laughs> like, cry. So, you can cry in this podcast. I'm with you. I'm, on, I'm with you 100%. Like, so I cannot, I cannot honestly say um where i'm from unless i take a blood test right so i cannot say hey my great 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 grandfather came from such and such right because i don't know right that must be very tough it can be and i would think that i was when i was watching especially you know a lot of these videos i was fascinated by the fact that you know this is this the Gullah Geechee community is a beautiful community i'm actually you know as a person who doesn't have a lot of connection with anything mm -hmm. it is the fact that you're very close with your uncles and your aunts and you're in the you you grow up on these family properties and i know the family properties are very important because you know you're growing up knowing generations of each other yes so you have this you know, you have this beautiful community now based on this tragedy that happened, you know, hundreds of years ago, generations ago. Mm -hmm. But out of that came this beautiful, beautiful culture that is has as such a huge part is a, such a huge part of the American what we are in America. I mean, there was no I mean, there was no rice in this country on the Northeast before this situation. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I, I grew up in New York City. My mom would buy Carolina rice, and I didn't know where it was from. <laughs> Carolina. You know, well, I mean, I didn't know, but I mean, I'm just saying, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, of course. Yeah. Yes, dummy, I'm right. You're right. I'm, I'm stupid, but fine. I, I just, I, I find that, I find that, you know, the history of, um, the history of this, of it, and it, it is, it's, it's tragic and sad, mm -hmm. um, but what's come out of it is this very rich culture that, I didn't know about it. And I feel badly that I didn't know about it, to be honest. My wife said to me, she's like, yeah, you should have known. I'm like, did you know, Smarty? And she says, no, I didn't. I'm from Wisconsin. I had no idea. But at the same time, I mean, I wonder what that's like. I mean, I wonder what that's like. It's um, uh, my, uh, something, uh, something my English teacher used to say. Um, ignorance is bliss. If you don't yeah. know, you don't know. But, right. we, but, since, but since you do know, you have an obligation to kind of share it. I agree. I totally agree. I mean, like I, I when I was, I mean, like I said, we're reading and watching it, and I just, you know, and, and then one of our listeners, Mike Nye, sent me all this uh, food from Geechee Boy. Yeah. Sent me the Carolina gold rice and the red beans, and uh, what else? Some grits and stuff like that. I put the grits in the. It said put the grits in the refrigerator. I'm like, okay, I put them in the refrigerator. <laughs> I don't, I don't know when I'm gonna make them, but I don't want to screw them up. Yeah. I, I, I loved. I loved. I loved reading about it. I loved seeing about it and thinking to myself, talking about it and just celebrating and, 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 and kind of learning, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that's super important, but it's a, 
it's an interesting part. It's an interesting part of you because I really feel like I can see all of a sudden there was this new dimension to you that I hadn't seen before, which was oh, wow. like the hit of your. No, it's true. It's it's this part of this beautiful community because I, I you ha, as a maker, you know, a lot of times we we're saying before you don't necessarily get the support of your community, hmm. but it seems as though with your what your aunt said, you got to be different, and you're 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 purporting yourself in this manner that's just. It's extraordinary. Yeah, like it's it's. I have to set a standard, right? Um, even for my son to see, because right. rep- representation is is. I, I can't explain how important it is um, to see, to have a black man making knives. Yeah, like in in this, like that's rare. It's really rare yeah. to see it this, is. and um, and even making. I hate to say it like this, good knives. Right. Um, it's, it's really rare and I have to be mindful and um, careful on how I step and how and what I say and because my a lot of people a lot of eyes are, are on me right and I have to be mindful well how, how hard is that uh, it's it's easy now a little bit because I've been walking that road for a while um, but all, all I'm doing, like when you see me, um, I'm just showing Christ's love, man. Right. Like it, it just, I'm just showing love, no matter what it is. Um, you can always see a smile on my face. Yeah. Like so. Well, it's, it's just who you I know, am. It, the, you know, the knife business in general is generally not really. It, it's 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 funny because most of the time people think that when you're making knives that means you're using them all the time to do other things other than what they think mm-hmm. and a lot of times i actually had a story where i was i had these these interns coming from the school and the school wouldn't i said that i need this the school needed to uh, provide insurance because yes. the kids were going off to school i had such a problem with their insurance company because the insurance company was would say well we can't i mean you they they're going to be working in a knife company we can't they're going to be playing with knives <laughs> it was this concept it was this mental concept that they that and i said to a madam we're not standing around juggling knives and throwing them <laughs> at balloons i mean then my knives aren't sharp until right before i ship them you know you they're going to have more of a problem you know by a drill press or a grinder or Definitely. you know by the oven than a sharp knife there's this there is this conception this uh, this misconception uh, the fact that this is a metal shop as mm-hmm. opposed to we happen to be making knives, knives yeah. but i would think that in your situation you have to be a little bit extra be a little bit extra cautious for that reason definitely definitely like um even even people that comes to my shop i have them like a uh, sign like uh, a liability thing right. like so because i'm not you're not gonna sue me or anything right. like that <laughs> but still um even 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 to thank Jason for bringing me in, and he said, "Please don't hurt yourself. I don't want you to hurt yourself." Right. Um, because us as knife makers, we, we're used to our tools. Sure. But the people that are coming into our shop, not. So we have to be. We have to keep our eyes on them all the time. But there's also this conception, this this misconception with the popular, uh, with the sit with citizens, with regular people, not. That what we're making is, you know, weapons and it's dangerous stuff. I mean, you and I make culinary knives. Yeah. And I think that there's this, I had once, one time, my sister, I sent my my sister a knife and she says, it's going to be okay to put it in the mail. I'm like, why do you say that? She says, because you're putting a weapon in the mail. Like, no, I'm putting a chef knife in the mail yeah. and, I, and, and don't, you know, this is not an illegal situation. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times people would assume that because you're a knife maker, 
that you're automatically, you know, connected to a criminal element. Exactly. My 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 grandma before she passed, uh, when I started, she said, "Boy, you better take all them knives from out your car. You go. You go. They gonna put you underneath the jail." <laughs> I mean, I can. I mean, I would imagine that yeah. you would probably. I would be worried if I. I would. I get worried about that anyway. You know, it's. You know, now that you say that, I have friends in the New York City Police Department, and and a couple of them have said to me, they can't wait till they pick somebody up with one of my knives. And they told me that when you are in New York City with a knife, mm -hmm. it, it, unless it's like a, um, a Leatherman or a Swiss Army knife, like a, a, a slip joint folder, mm -hmm. that's a that they call that uh, um, job security. Because wow. it's odd, like if you have one of those knives in the city that has the clip that goes over your over your pocket, you know mm -hmm. what I'm, you know what I mean? You put it in your pocket and it's kind of holding the, the top of your pocket. Yes. They look for that and they call that job security. And then that's, if you're in New York City with one of those and it isn't a, a leather man, that's a one trip, that's a one way ticket to the tombs. Wow. I, I, I've heard it all the time. So I am very conscious. I'll never, I never carry, I never carry even a chef's knife. If I have to go in the city, I'll, I'll bring a chef's roll mm -hmm. and then I'll be prepared to talk about, it. I'm going to go to the kitchen or I'm going to whatever. But that is something that I would imagine is very difficult in this day and age, especially with, with you. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I have to be mindful in everything I do. That's gotta be hard. It's gotta be really hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's got to be annoying too. It is annoying uh, because it's it's almost like white knuckling. Like if right. I see if I see I'm driving I'm I'm fine, and I see a police officer passing me, I'm gripping now. Like okay, yeah. I'm looking in the rearview mirror. Like okay, is he going to stop me? Is he going to stop me? And as soon as you get way down the way down the road, okay, I, I could breathe a sigh of relief now. <laughs> Fucking hate. I'm sorry for cursing, but I fucking hate that. Like that. That it's it's just so infu it's just so infuriating. And I, and, I, and I, you know, it reminds me of something that happened to you a couple years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was really very very upsetting. Yeah. I don't know if you if you don't want to talk about it. No, talk about I'm, it. I'm fine. But you did an Instagram live. Uh, what was that? Two years ago, something like that. Yeah. And can you just tell what happened? So yeah, back in 2018, on Christmas Eve. Um, I went and dumped trash and, um, I had this older gentleman, um, I don't want to, where were you dumping the trash? Um, in the, where it needs to be, there's a, uh, okay. a designated area. I'm not throwing it on the streets or anything like that. It's a designated right, right. area to dump trash. Um, and I'm going in to the dumpster to throw my bags in the trash. And I, this older gentleman is coming to me saying, Hey, Hey, Hey. And I'm not really paying no attention to him. Right. I'm hopping in my, my truck. And while I'm backing out, he pulls his gun to point right at, right at me, yelling, stop, stop, stop. He's not a police officer. I know a lot of the police officers around this area. Um, I didn't stop. I kept going um, until I got to a, a, a safer destination. I called the police. It took an hour and a half to get to me. Oy. And and then that's when and in, in that time I'm thinking like damn, this man could have took my life. Now on Christmas Eve, my children wouldn't see me, and I said, is it is it because that I'm a young black man throwing trash in the dumpster? And okay. he, he may have had a chip on his shoulder, maybe trying to rob me. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't give. I didn't sit and ask and wait. <laughs> you did it. You that I mean, I remember when you were sitting in the car, I must have been like 10, 15, 20 minutes after that had happened. Mm -hmm. And it was like this 
moment of just like my life your life was frivolous to him yeah you didn't care over nothing and you have you have two kids you have a wife you have a you have a, a, a struggling business that's getting better and better mm-hmm. it's it was a it was a very very traumatic event yeah like he he don't he doesn't he doesn't know me from adam and to say i'm a, I'm a businessman i'm an ordained minister um and to go down the list of now, why you want, why would you want to pull a gun on me again now? It, but you know the funny thing is, and I, and I hear a lot of stuff about like when things happen to people, they start to dig into well, he did this or he did that. It doesn't even really matter. Mm-mm. It didn't warrant. It didn't. No matter what the, the the person you are, it didn't really matter your your backstory. The guy should have not pulled a gun on you for dumping trash. Yeah, for real. And and I'm not the kind of person to uh, uh, just. Willie nearly just throw stuff. I wasn't. I wasn't yeah. breaking the law or anything right. like that. So why? So, I mean, I just remember that. I remember mm-hmm. that just just so vividly, and it was like it was like it was so scary because it was just it, the way you were explaining it. It was it was a moment. It was a moment that could have gone wrong yeah. very quickly. Very quickly. And it and it makes me very grateful that you're able to have a community where you're very close you have a close-knit community of people supporting you and people around you mm-hmm. you know the Gullah Geechee community from what I understand is so supportive of each other as a community in terms of faith in terms of their culture in terms of understanding what they're doing what what where we came from and where we're going now I'm just glad that you're doing what you're doing me too <laughs> oh yeah, me too. There you go. There you go. So, so what's the next step? What's the next step for you? So, um, the idea of employing, I have uh, three people working for me now. Um, that and I'm, I will be doing another Kickstarter. Oh, yes, I am. Very good. <laughs> um, actually, I can kind of. Or should I hold it? I don't know. Ah. It's up to you. I mean, it's up to you. I mean, I think that ultimately the people who listen to this podcast are very supportive. And I think that people don't listen to. I don't think that. I mean, it's, your, it's up to you. So, well, basically, basically is um, uh, my folding chef knife. Um, and uh, Dang, girl. <laughs> Dang, girl. <laughs> so it's the, <sighs> the, the folding chef knife that, that I, I've made. You can look in my uh, Instagram. I've made them. I made a bunch of them and they love the knives, but the concept of it, the, the, the main feedback that I got about it, I love the knife, but it doesn't lock. It doesn't lock. It doesn't lock. It doesn't have a lock. And it was a friction folder. So I finally decided, I finally figured out the locking mechanism. Whoa. <laughs> I once got, I once got my business partner. This is back in, I know we're talking 20 years ago, a mm-hmm. folding chef knife from AG Russell. Mm-hmm. And it was so cool, and I gave it to him, and it was so cool because it was like, it's t- it's only tough because you can't. It's hard to have a, f- a two inch heel on yeah. on a, on a folding knife like that and fit it in your pocket. But it was so slick, and I always thought if somebody made that happen, it would be such a great idea. And guess what? Go ahead. My my knives are two inches wide. Your chef, not your folding chef, is gonna be two inches. Yeah, two no, inch it, heel. Like so, it does have a two inch heel. Yes. All right. Well, I kind of look forward to hopping on that when you get when you get that Kickstarter train. I am on that train. Oh yeah, I'm on that train 100. <laughs> percent That's awesome. So, so we're 
so you're you're doing this Kickstarter. You 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 have a you have a line of uh, of beautiful knives. The Echo series is mm-hmm. something that that's what I got. Yeah. And then you you work with. I know that you work with Damas Steel. You're yeah. all over the place. I'm all over the place. Like I, the Damas Steel, that's my custom stuff, and uh, also I make my own Damascus. Um, and the basically the Echo line is for line cooks or people that. I know line cook don't really make that much money, so that's why right. that's at that price range. So when they are ready to make uh, a bigger purchase, that's for my other uh, custom stuff. So it kind of I have tiers. It's the it's so it's so smart, and that's the one of the things that a lot of knife makers don't realize. They assume that sous chefs and cooks have a pile of money, and they are they are the some of the I mean the restaurant business there is a scurrilous business, and especially now now you might as well I mean it's like it's in the dumps, mm-hmm. but th- the fact that you can make a knife for that's affordable to uh, line cooks and stuff like that is is yeah. so is so important. It's so important because these are the guys who are really going to sh- tell you what you need to know about your knife. Exactly, and they're they're the people that want to tell other people they could. It, it was a sacrifice up front, but it paid off along the way. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So can I, I want to just ask you, I want to just talk to you about, I want to know more about your brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your brother, so you, is he your older brother or your no, younger brother? He's my, young, he's my baby brother. He's your baby brother. Yeah. And he decided, what made him decide to go to culinary school? Um, he went to school to do um, mechanical engineering or something like that. Then he always loved to cook and we were right. kind of pushing him to do... Um, uh, go to school to be an, uh, to be a chef, and I'm and I'm in the I'm in the field of making knives for uh, a lot of chefs in the area. And uh, while he was going, I was giving uh, giving his information to some of my friends. Like, hey, my brother's in school, and he needs a job when he get out. Can you help him? Can you help him? So that's what it, it was in the beginning. And now he's a, a phenomenal chef. And he he's holding his own. So I said, go ahead, brother. Can you tell me um, some of his? What's his specialty? Okay, I know that I know that like CJ Dennis. Yeah, BJ, uh, BJ, BJ Dennis. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. BJ Dennis. I was, I was thinking of somebody else. Mm-hmm. BJ Dennis is this chef who is real, real quick. Quick, I was watching this one video with BJ, and he said something to me that was so fast. Said something on the video, that was so amazing. He said he was he brought a. And I'll bring it. I'll bring it back to your brother real quick. Which just reminded mm-hmm. me. So he brought this uh, this food writer to this uh, Gullah home. This the an elder, an elder mm-hmm. in the community to to cook for him. And he said he said that the how lucky he was to be able to be around these you know great. Gullah um, older people who know the traditions and the history and he can learn from them every day and learn fr- at the cooking and stuff like that because he knows that one day they won't be here and it's his job to make sure that it continues Correct. and it felt like it felt to me like it was you know a lot of people cook because they like to cook it felt like it was it was uh it was i mean for the most part a divine uh, cause like mm-hmm. it was one of those things that just like i have to do this because I need to make sure that this keeps going, 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 and doesn't Definitely. get lost. Definitely. And and then so so your brother must have had a kind of a similar uh, epiphany for the most yes. part. So my brother, he, he's he's learning from BJ, and he's kind of shadowing him a lot, and they do pop ups together. And so 
Marcus, he he likes to do barbecue and he do like whole hog, whole goats. And um, just uh, maybe last year or year before, he uh, smoked a, uh, a half of a cow. Wow. <laughs> and um, he, he, do, he does uh, boucheries. It's uh, sure. like, what do you call it? Blood on the river or something like that. And he's he's he kind of immersing himself in that to learn the culture learn uh our culture by food and 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 from taking that and elevating it and he called it sexy smoke look at you look at you <laughs> so taking taking something that's you known for as barbecuing in a backyard and putting it into a refined area and so you still be able to experience or taste the the culture in a in a refined situation uh atmosphere i mean do you guys ever do things together in terms of, I mean, he's the chef and you're the knife maker. You guys ever do anything like that? Yeah, together? definitely. Um, we were, we uh, do it when we have family events, but um, we were talking actually last week and we were talking about maybe doing like an oyster roast and kind of collaborating and doing something like that, doing, doing that at a brewery where maybe I'm doing like a forging demo or something and he's doing oysters and barbecue. That's amazing. I have a couple questions for you from some of the listeners. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Dang, I have this one question that that I love. Um, this one guy, Adam Cipher's done. He sent me these couple questions. That mm-hmm. I sent him a lot. I think they're great. What is your worst failure? Oh. And it doesn't have to be a knife. Or no, it, it is. You know, whatever. It, my worst failure was, or I was noticing it start to be a failure. Um, chasing the success. That uh, because I was chasing success and leaving my family behind. Uh, so basically, I was being a public success and a private failure. Wow. So what made you decide that you had to like back off a little bit and spend more time with your family? Um, because the, I was telling myself I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it for them. That's the reason why I'm making my knives for them. And it was just one year. I just like, dummy, you they're right in the house. Go hug them. Spend time. Stop. You you have the freedom to sit down and stop everything and spend time with your family because you say you're building it for them. And I would say that's if if I didn't do that, I I would have been a uh, a horrible. It, it would have been a horrible wreck. So you probably wouldn't even hear about middle to mid knives anymore. I gotta tell you, you've hit me in a you hit me right between the eyes because I actually. A few months ago, actually, when coronavirus first started, mm-hmm. I stopped working. Uh, I stopped working Saturdays, mm-hmm. and it was because I felt like I needed to be there for my daughter. My daughter, you know, stopped. You know, like most kids, weren't going to school, and I really wanted to make sure I was. I was limiting my time in the shop. I was. I was coming to the shop later and leaving earlier, and I was spending time with her. And it made such a huge difference yeah. in our relationship and being able to talk. And for, I mean, she was been isolated for the most part for six months. So it was this really important situation. And I really, and I just decided right, I'm not going to work Saturdays anymore. Yeah. And now my wife is on vacation as we speak. And she said, you got, you want to do anything this week? And I was like, I got to work. And because of what you said, I'm gonna take a day off. Yeah. I, you're 100% right. I, what am I, what, what's right? What's wrong with me? Like, don't get me wrong. Your clients can wait. Like in reasonable time, um, one day ain't gonna kill him, right? No, it sure is not because it's gonna take three or four days to get to him anyway. Look at you changing my life even right now. <laughs> I love it because man, right. if we don't if we don't look at our family, man, like what's it for anyway? For other people, 
Like we're doing it. We're 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 making knives to provide for our family. But the thing is, we got to understand that our family needs us too. But that's a tight that's a tight spot because you you what I've said exactly what you said. I'm doing this for my family. Mm-hmm. I'm working like a dog for my family. I've said that. I've said that to my wife. I've said that to my daughter. I said, listen, I'm sorry, I got to work. I, I, I'm doing this for all of us. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, yeah, but, you know, you um, take a day off. I, I haven't seen, I, I tell my younger brother this too. I tell Marcus this. Um, and I tell countless people this. Uh, money comes and money goes. And when time comes, it just goes. <sighs> You have completely told me the way it is. <laughs> that is a hundred percent. My sister used to say to me, when I when I, oh, I had you know my had to fix my brakes in my truck or I had to, you know this that the other thing. She goes, he said, don't. She would say to me, don't worry, you're never going to remember that money in a, in a year. So the same thing. It's like mm-hmm. you never remember it. Stop worrying about it. You're not going to remember it later. Mm-mm. But Look you remember you. you remember those moments. All right, you, you've done it. You've, you've, you've made me change my you made me change my ways. I'm going to go home and say, Hill, Lyle, I'm taking a day off. Tell me what day you want. Yeah. Just only one, though. <laughs> <laughs> only one, only one. I got stuff to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Only one day, only one day. Don't get so, don't get so selfish. Wait, don't get caught don't get, up in this now, all right? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. So he asks another question, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, what's the craziest thing anyone's ever asked you to make? <laughs> Come on, it's gonna be good. Um, early on, like I have, uh, I'm a big anime guy. Like I like Japanese animation. Sure. And um, early on, someone asked me, "Can you make the Roroni Kenshin sword, the reverse bladed sword?" And I said, "Okay, yeah, I can make it." And as I was making it, I said, "This thing is so damn stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Why is the blade reversed? I'm gonna cut myself." And I, was, I just said, "No, that's I'm not making that anymore." But that's probably one of the stupidest thing I ever made. That's a that's a, I, I get asked weird things usually. <laughs> the only the weirdest thing that I, I want to do still is I know a uh, cannabis farmer who wants me to make a, uh, a knife for helping uh, prune uh, cannabis, and I always <laughs> say just I'm ready. Uh, you just gotta send me some drawings. Yeah, and, yeah let me you know, know when I, you're ready. <laughs> let me know when you're ready. I'm not saying no. I'm not saying no. I do get a lot of I do get a lot of and this is something we talk about in knife talk. I do get a lot of calls for people wanting me to make someone else's knife. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, you get that a yeah, lot. Yeah, um, I, I, I've, I get pictures of like, hey, can you make this knife? I remember it was one time I had to tell um, Morocco about this. Like, hey, can you make uh, Morocco's knife? Can you make it a little yeah. cheaper? I said, like, I'm not doing it. Th- that's, what, that's a lot of people do that. A lot I'm of people do that, and it's, 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 it's super obnoxious. Well, you know the funny thing, and I don't know if you're a tattoo guy. I'm, I'm covered, and I have definitely done the same thing to tattoo mm-hmm. my tattoo guys, and I'll be like, hey, look at this eagle. You think you could do this? He's like, yeah, well, why don't you go to the guy who did it? Why aren't you asking me to do it? Exactly. So it, like, I, I, I love and I respect a lot of people in, the, um, in, the, in this industry, so I wouldn't make a, a, a custom knife maker's work. I just yeah, to it's, a tough, it's a tough spot. It, it's a tough spot because... You know, I, I think that I think people's, especially when you're in the, you're this is a you're you have a personal relationship with the people who are coming to you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they'll say when you when they hear the word custom, they think yeah maybe custom means, you know that means that we can change things around. And I'm like well, well this is really, really what I want, and <laughs> and 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 maybe they'll say okay, but it is it's a tough spot. It is. It Here's is. a question from Jeremy from Simple Little Life. Jeremy's a really good dude up in uh, uh, Canada. He said mm-hmm. I have a question for you. What's your mindset, idea, or approach that's helped you the most in terms of knife making? Mm. 
it, the real question was he wanted to know about cooking. <laughs> but at the same okay. time, I'm thinking like, ah, we could do cooking or we could do knife making. What do you think your approach is in terms of how you do things? Um, wow. Um, Jason always had, had a rule. He had three. Uh, he said, these are the rules. You got the yeah. three C's. So what's the three C's? <laughs> clean, clean, and clean. <laughs> That's all I'm thinking about. Got to make it clean. Got to make sure that it performs cleanly. And I forgot the other C, but still, clean, clean, clean. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you got them all. That's the that's the interesting thing about that's the interesting thing about um, making things in general, but also making knives. Everything is always about tra um, transitions. Mm -hmm. It's so hard in every single step to go backwards. Uh, yeah. Knives, especially because you're removing. You're not. Mm -hmm. You're not growing. You're not. You can't. It's not like you're making a clay pot where you can add if you need it. You're reducing, and when you get pa when you get past that point of you've gone too far, yeah. Then all of a sudden it's a disaster. Mm. I, I, I have. If you ever get a chance to come to my shop, I have a, a, a area inside my shop called the Bone Yard. <laughs> it was failed knives, but eventually I can uh, uh, an idea will come back to me and like, oh, I can cut this off and grind it like this, and so I don't really throw away much of disaster knife. I messed up knives. I mean. What I've been doing is I actually put them on a piece of wood and hang them up, and I call it the wall of dishonor. <laughs> dishonor. And, 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 well, I don't know about dishonor, but it's like or shame or shame, like yeah, yeah, yeah. the wall of shame or like you know you you know whatever. But it's always something that I like. I I'm looking actually looking at it right now. I did uh, some. I had to redo a knife handle three times, and mm. I, I put every single scale on this one board. And it's you know I think that I think that being doing being a maker is about humility too. It is. You know? It is like you have. To be humble because um i call like the people that work for me I, I tell them like if if you lose the mojo stop that's it for the day yeah. because if if you notice one thing mess up then the next then the next just stop because more is going to happen so don't mess up anything else because it's my money i think that it'll, <laughs> that, it's interesting because that also leads to the whole idea of the craftsperson versus the business person because you know when you're making something and you're, you're making it through passion and mm -hmm. you're making it there's you know some people would say it was art you know you're almost willing yourself through an issue yeah as opposed to dropping back and saying this isn't really working i need to cut bait now before i kind of pile a pile of time into mm -hmm. a problem well and actually you kind of hit on something um what you're saying with that um someone asked me i think probably you too um actually about the the business part of it custom knife makers are so fat or fixated on that one knife it has to be perfect it has to be right so um on the production side of it i would say um how much you're willing to let go right like the quality like custom uh quality levels way up here if you can take it a notch down and be happy enough to let it go and make money off of it, that now you have a happy medium. That is one of the toughest things to tell someone because especially when they first start in making anything, it doesn't have to be knives, you have this this feeling of like, I want it, I want my peers to look at it, I want them to be impressed, I want them to be look at this plunge line, look how crisp it is. Mm -hmm. But in order for you to kind of be able to sell it in a market and pay your bills or pay this or pay that, Sometimes you have to take some of the passion out of it in yes. order for it to be something that you can go forward in. Otherwise, there's so many people out there who, who are just like, well, this knife is going to just, you know, I'm just going to charge more money and maybe maybe that'll work for you. But a lot of times you have to take a little bit of the passion out in order for it to get out into the world. Yeah. 
because and I don't think that's a bad thing. You? No, it's, it's not because um, we're, we're a lot of people, a lot of knife makers trying to do this as a business. Right. And it's hard to kind of let go of certain things, but you have to learn how to let go of maybe about two, like two notches down of your perfect stuff. Um, like how you're saying that the blade shows and, and having your knife, other makers, peers looking at your knives. Don't get me wrong. It's cool to have my peer give me a nod, but they're not buying my knives. Bingo. That is one of the things that is the biggest, is the craziest part about this, this community. It's a wonderful community, mm -hmm. but at the same time they pat you on the back, but I mean, that's about it. Yeah. Like you fame, know. fame doesn't pay my bills. Well, that's true. That's a hundred percent true. I just wonder because you know. But with that said, that doesn't mean you should be sending bananas. Of out course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> hey, look, look what I mean. You, you sent a long blade. Yeah, it only cuts. It only cuts a semicircle out of whatever you're trying to cut. No, I'm not saying that. But I mean, yeah. at the same time, there has to be some degree of. You know, because the funny thing is, is I say the funny thing is too many times, but ultimately it's a verbal crutch I got. But ultimately, this concept of being an artist and being a business person are so mm -hmm. far, far removed. Yeah. I was talking to um, a person in the uh, a restaurant business and a restaurant supply business, and he was saying to me, "The most knife makers are terrible at business, business. to the yeah. point where they won't even approach them." Mm -hmm. They won't approach him because it's just too. There, there. You can't. You can't count on someone to say, "Okay, listen, I'm going to get these water jet cut," or "Listen, I'm going to get. I'm going to get. I'm going to get a company of water jet to cut these mm -hmm. in order to take some of my time back," or "I'm going to get these ground to take some of my labor back because you know." Or, and I think that there it becomes this. I mean, that's why I look to you in terms of setting this tone uh, as being a business person and an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. It's like I want to be known as the artist Quentin Middleton, like the artist Quentin, or formerly known artist. Like, but anyway, but still, it, it, it is what it is. Um, and I, I, I just came to a realization that I, I need to provide for my family. And but also, I am a knife maker, and I tell the people that want to learn from me, learn your craft. You have to learn your craft. If you don't learn your craft, you're sending Lomo blades. Is it is it possible mm -hmm. that this concept that We've created this concept. This is a, a, a societal issue. We've created this concept that the artist is a higher value than a craftsman or a business person. And you get this concept that these artists are so creative and they're such genius and you must you know, value them differently because they're, they're, they're manifesting something <laughs> just from their sheer genius of creativity. Why is that? A higher level in our minds than a craftsperson making something for that you can use. That's the thing about a knife maker is it's you, you know you can make you know beautiful art knives, mm -hmm. but I mean you, but when you're talking about making culinary knives, you're making something for a family to you're nurturing your family. Definitely. And there's something more um, there's something more beautiful about that because it's actually serving this 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 you know important purpose. Mm -hmm. I've told people I could make a beautiful knife uh, with uh, uh, Timascus bolsters and and ivory and, and everything like that. I can make that, of course, but I want my knives to be used. Right. Like I don't want to be on the hang on the wall. The money is fine. Yes, I want your money. Like, but I still want my knives to be used. I want I want I, I want people to say like, damn, that knife was ooh, that's a sharp ass knife. 
that that is something that's that is something a hundred percent true. I don't. I get I get worried once in a while. I'll get a call to make an expensive knife, mm-hmm. and then I always feel like I just don't want this person having to put it in a vault and wearing the gloves, take it out, <laughs> and I, you know, it just feels like it feels like there's a there's there's you know you get that idea of the vanity of the artist mm-hmm. and and um, the narcissism really. I mean, I'm part of me is I, I the older I get the more I struggle with why we do things. And part mm-hmm. of me, it used to be when I was younger, I felt I was trying to prove something to either my parents or my friends or or trying to prove something to anybody, just being like, I did these with my hands. I, I came up with this idea. I figured out the technique or I learned the technique and then I brought it out into the world. And my satisfaction was from that. Mm-hmm. But the, the older I get, I wonder, is that this is that this idea of, is this a narcissist? This is just a narcissistic tendency to say you need to see what I'm making. <laughs> well, you know? uh, it's almost like uh, it's all, basically that's what the blade show is. Yeah, basically, right. like, like look what I made. Look what I made. Yeah, that, that's all. That, that's all what the blade show really is. Um, and I was a person never really kind of go. In, went into that direction i don't care what you say really right. like if you say my knives are cool awesome i love you if you say my knives are crap okay have a good day <laughs> nice to see you <laughs> yeah. nice to see you get out yeah have a good day <laughs> but um and i don't know it's that's i guess that's the thing about an artist and a business person like you you're you wanting to know what an artist standpoint you want people to uh to give you the feedback and you want people to uh to give you the accolades but as a business person like i want to sell the product i want right. I need to get it out and the accolades that's coming oh i appreciate it but i would use that in the sales tactic i'm telling you you got a hundred it's it's it is a juggling act it is because you have so you i'm sure that you've heard customers of yours when they're praising you when they're praising that the work that you've done, I mean, I, as soon as I got your knife, I sent you a message saying this is a very, very <laughs> elegant knife. Yeah. Very, very elegant. Elegant was the perfect, uh, the perfect word to describe your knife. And I Thank can you. imagine, and I'm a knife maker, so I've seen a couple knives. <laughs> so I would imagine that people that you sell yours to would probably say to you, "What a work of art." Mm-hmm. And I, and I always think that I always think that it's a nice compliment. They're trying to give me this compliment that is more than what it is, which is a knife for cutting your food. Well, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's just a knife. It just, but you can also say the same thing about somebody that can sing. I can sing. There you go. There you go. Like, so it's, it's all it's all in the eye of the beholder. Look at you, Quentin Middleton, my man. <laughs> the philosopher. Is there any? What you are a philosopher? Is there anything else? I mean, what else are you up to these days? What's what's going on? What's the future hold for you? I know that now. You might as well. I, I'm convinced you just take two, you know, 2020 20 and just, you know, let's yeah, just throw it in the trash. Like, let's <laughs> throw it in the trash. I mean, I don't know. We're making play. People are slowly, slowly creeping up and 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 canceling events left and right. What's the future hold for you? What is your? You got this Kickstarter going. What mm-hmm. else? Um, basically, um, you. The thing, the thing about sales or or business, you have to stay relevant. So right. the only way that you can stay relevant is stay in, in, in front of people's eyes. So that means uh, for knife makers, you need to make more knives. You need to be able to post it and saying like, okay, hey, look what I'm making. This is what I'm doing. And and also that's a catch-22 as well because from what I said earlier, you can get drawn into social media. You can get drawn into Instagram, Facebook. I did, but I had to pull back. So it, it's a it's a fine line. 
do you think you'd ever teach or? I'm not really a, a people. People like the way I teach, but I'm not really a teacher because I, sure. I don't I don't think I'm a good teacher because I would say, hey, grind that like that and not really you know, give a science behind it. That might be the mark of a good teacher. <laughs> you know, you might have. I think you cracked some sort of like, you know, like the Pharaoh's uh, riddle right there, because there are a lot of people who who are terrible teachers that think that they're good teachers. Mm -hmm. I would think that if you have the wherewithal to say, yeah, I mean, I'm not so great at that. Maybe you are a good teacher. Well, you're very personable and you're very encouraging. So I would well, imagine well. <laughs> that would be something that, well, it's true. But I would imagine that would be something that, uh, I, 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 you answered that in a way I was just like, okay, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. But <laughs> you got, that's the old whoopsie daisy. Yeah. I know all about it. So I, I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe not. Like, I don't know. It's, I don't know. We, mm. we shall see. We shall see. And with that said, Quentin Middleton is here. Middleton made knives. And let me tell you something. If you want to meet a great individual who has been supportive of the knife making community, there's no one closer. That, if you want to talk about, uh, you got a list of people who are knife makers and business people. And if you don't include in Quentin Middleton, the top five, you got a problem. <laughs> I want you to go out. And I want you to follow Quentin Middleton. I'm sure Middleton made knives. I know you do already. Keep your eyes open for that, uh, for that Kickstarter because we're gonna get squared away with that. Go follow his brother. His brother uh, Marcus Middleton made cuisine. Follow him up. And I thank you so much for being here, man, brother. Thank you for having me. And um, always, any podcast or any interview that I do, I like to encourage somebody. If you dreaming and you're hoping that you can do something look at the people that's ahead of you me jeff we're doing it so get off your butt and get to it there you go and that's it so go follow us at the full blast podcast on instagram uh <laughs> go to social media and and then also if you're on itunes give us a review subscribe you can also send us dms on uh on uh, full blast podcast on instagram Thank you so much, Quentin. I just, I, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. We've known each other for a while, and I, I just I, you everything about you is impressive, and you should be very <laughs> proud of the person that you are. Thank you, brother. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, man. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.